Hello and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to Native American artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears, people in our community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of CANA, the Native American programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Native American community from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Don Monolo. Don is a legendary artist. He's a member of the Oglala Nation and a founding member of the Dreamcatchers Artist Guild, which included Robert Penn and includes Roger Brower from our previous episode. Don is a fixture in the foundation of the Northern Plains Indian Art Movement. And I can't say enough about this artist and the gentleman that he is. So with that said, let's jump into this interview with Don. You could tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from. Okay. Well, I'm from Kyle, South Dakota. It's on the Pine Ridge Reservation. My mom and dad, they were ranchers. And, uh, but they only had eighth grade educations, both of them. And they knew the only way off the reservation was going to be through a good education. And so they moved from that setting up to Rapid City, South Dakota. And my mom was really a strong Catholic. And so she insisted that I go to a Catholic school here in Rapid City, and so kindergarten through eighth grade, I was in, basically in a Christian, you know, Catholic parochial school, but then my dad, he was a, uh, a Lutheran, oh, Episcopal, he was Episcopal, I'm sorry, he was an Episcopal, and uh, <laughs> eighth grade, they made us write our, biographies and stuff like that and the last chapter is what we wanted to be and I wrote I wanted to become a priest and I think that jarred my dad a little bit because you know he's a cowboy you know and he's not really religious and stuff like that and he says Clara my, my dad's name is Jumbo that's his nickname his real name's Floyd and my mom's name's Clara and he says Clara I think our son needs to get a, a more broad education he says I think he's got a good Catholic Foundation now, so they put me in uh, public school at ninth grade, and I, I was really naive. I mean, I, I'm the only child, and I had my mom's apron tails. I think all the way through eighth grade, but when I went to public school, they had art, they had industrial art, and I did. I seen art, and I thought, oh, fantastic! And so I signed up. And then I walked into the class, and I seen these hammers and nails and stuff and saws. And, oh, man, I, this is the wrong kind of art for me. So I went to the counselor, and he rearranged my schedule, and I finally got to be in the fine arts. Mm. So I took that for four years, all the way through Rapid City Public Schools. And at that time, it was Rapid City High School, and I graduated in 66. But in that time period, I got to uh, do art fairly well, and I got two workshops with Oscar Howe, who was the fine arts professor in university in Vermilion, and they were just two two-week workshops, and so I was really impressed, and I thought Oscar Howe is my idol, because he's all I want to be, he's a, a family man, he's an artist, and he's an art teacher, and I thought that's what I wanted to be. So with his workshops in my art in high school, I got an opportunity to go to Santa Fe, New Mexico, to the Institute of American Indian Arts there. It's a two-year postgraduate program that 
and it's just concentrated on art and how you are going to make a living with art once you leave there. But Vietnam was pretty hot then. It, it was uh, 66 through 69. And so the incentive, I always wanted those three things, and I thought, I, I don't have time to take off for service, and I don't want to be in Nam for sure. <clears throat> and so I kept my grade point average up to a 3.5, which you had to do. And <clears throat> with everything worked out so well down there that I got a full scholarship to Rhode Island School of Design in Providence, Rhode Island. But the transition from Rapid City, South Dakota, and Santa Fe, New Mexico, real layback communities. I went to Rhode Island, and a cultural shock just, bang, just hit me, you know. And so I only spent about two months there, and I, I left. But I was too late to get into Spearfish, Black Hill State College at that time. And so I stayed out until the spring semester, and... For like three months, I became a cowboy. And I, with all the, the things that you do on a ranch, I, I definitely did not want to become a rancher. <laughs> I, I, I thought, God, I don't want to pull a two-year-old cow on a freezing day on the top of a hill. You know, <laughs> That was not my forte. Hmm. So I got back into Black Hill State the spring semester and I, I spent about a year and a half there trying to get my degree in art working for my degree but I got an opportunity to work on a cultural art van running around North and South Dakota sponsored by the area, Aberdeen area office and so I took that opportunity and I worked with uh, John Richtrick who's a graduate in Northern and then Arthur Amiot, who also was a graduate from Northern, but he had, he's from the Pine Ridge Reservation. And we we were young, you know, we were like 22 years old, 23, 24, you know. And so we had no ties. And so we ran around North Dakota and South Dakota, all the reservations, Devil's Lake, you know, Standing Rock, all of them, uh, Pine Ridge, Rosebud, Crow Creek, Bobro. And we talked kindergarten through eighth grade, and we was only there for two weeks in the fall, and then we, in the springtime, we went back for a, a follow-up for one week. So that was a real interesting program that I, I was on, and it, it was really cool because we'd come, and we used to have this big old white bread van, and all the kids thought, of, thought we were doctors, and they'd all run and hide because they thought we were going to give them shots. <laughs> <laughs> and then once they found out we was artists, they all would, they loved us, you know, and then by the time we were leaving, they didn't want us to leave. They was all hanging on us. And then in the springtime when we came back, they heard we were coming and they were all standing outside along the fences and stuff and just happy to see us. So, so we had we had a lot of, a lot of buddies, and we had a lot of, a lot of friendships there. So, teachers didn't like us because when we came, we took over the, the dining hall, and 
we made them. Every, everybody got really dirty with our pastels and stuff. So. <laughs> but anyway, that's pretty much my my background. As I I uh, that's where I started from, I guess. Who are, who were, and who are your, your biggest influences? Well, Oscar Howe was like my hero. I mean, he's always been my hero. And uh, his style of art, I, I have tried to imitate his style of art all my life, and I still can't do it. I, I know his technique. I know his kind of paper. I know his paint and everything. And uh, Oscar Howe was really cool because I really got to know Oscar extremely well, and uh, we became really friends after I left there. And I became real acquainted with his his family too, Heidi and Inga Don, who's his daughter. She's about the same age I am. So all through Oscar's life and Heidi's life, I really maintained that friendship. And still today, Heidi and I still have a work, you know, still call and stuff. And the other one was my was my mentor was Herman Redduck. He worked at the Sydney Museum with me, and he also attended those workshops. But he was my senior by probably about twenty years, and he uh, was a World War II vet, a Marine who killed all those islands. He he went through all those battles. But uh, Herman did a high painting, and he did it the traditional way. And so I was always bugging Herman, so he finally took me off to the side and he started lecturing me on how to do these hides and stuff. And so we kept our relationship all the way through until he passed away as well, too. But there's two younger ones, too, that I, I always admired. Their style is Arthur Amiot, who's uh, been an educator all his life and really a famous, well-known artist. And his other one is Robert Penn. They both had studied under Oscar Howe, and Bobby Penn probably was Oscar's star student. He really became really well acquainted, and then he also taught at the university too. So those four guys are my heroes, and in my studio here, I have four mink pouts, and they're named Oscar, Herman, Arthur, Robert. <laughs> and every time I get in a kind of a hard situation where I don't know where to go. I kind of look up at them and then I, I go through those guys' education that they gave me and, and how they had those hard times too. And they kind of inspire me to get back on the right road. Oh. The, um, I want to, uh, Move on to questions. I want to jump in though, because uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, Robert Penn. When I was, oh, you did? I did. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, we. Um, a wild guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he was unfiltered. Uh, if if he if he was thinking something or if he was feeling something, he'd let you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bobby. Yeah. Bobby was. You know, Bobby had to have his oxygen on towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was getting. Uh, Artist, South Dakota Artist of the Year, or something like that, mm -hmm. here, and I'm sitting out there with him on the bench, and he's got his oxygen on, and he's 
Don, you want a cigarette? <laughs> oh, no, I don't want a cigarette. You want oxygen? Oxygen. I smoke all the time. <laughs> and he lit his cigarette while he was on his oxygen. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, we're both going to blow up. <laughs> but he's a wild man. I, I used to have to um, wheel him around uh, at different things. Uh, oh, yeah? And he, he and one day um, he, he wanted to go out for a smoke. And this is down <laughs> in Vermilion. And so I wheeled him out, and I, I didn't often, and I still don't with, uh, you know, my elders or, or those older than me, but I questioned him. I said, um, I was like, should you be smoking if you're on oxygen? And he looked at me, and he said, my doctor says it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going to question. I was going to argue with him. <laughs> yeah, is your doctor still alive, or is he blowed up already? Too? <laughs> yeah, Bobby was. Uh, I got some real horror stories, but would have to have a beer to tell them all. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you up on that. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I have a few too, but yeah, we um, yeah, we worked on uh, on his studio at, out at the farmhouse. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of good memories out there. Oh yeah. Uh, Bobby had a had a retrospective show about four years ago. Mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. Uh, that lawyer that has a lot of his stuff. Yep, yep. And uh, Bobby was so damn far ahead of his time as an artist. I mean, it, I walked into the show and I had to go, and it just blowed me away. Bobby, one time he was getting interviewed. And this guy said, how can you use the purples? I mean, what significance does that have in, in your culture? Does that have, you know, just tell me about the significance of that. And Bobby says, I don't know, I just like purple. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, yeah. he would go through his phases. With his, I remember him talking about his blue phase and his red phase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was there too. I the, the, the neat thing about being in his studio in his, his farmhouse was uh, I saw a lot of things that I, I haven't seen since then. Uh, yeah. Got to see an insight. Cause he, he had this abstract painting of Elvis Presley and it was just, it was just sort of like, I don't know if it was half done or what, but it was just sort of thrown up against the wall covered, yeah. covered by other pieces, you know? And I, <laughs> I suspect I'll never see that piece again if it still exists, you know, but yeah. I got to see it and I, I got to sort of get his, because he, he had that sort of dark humor to him. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I, I want, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have one about, I have one of Bobby's pins. I have two of his. But one is pastel. And I traded Bobby two years prior to that at that uh, Northern Plains Tribal Art Show in Sioux Falls, they used to have. Mm-hmm. And I traded him. I was I finally hit him up because he was getting older. And I said, Bobby, where the hell's my painting that we traded? Oh, hell, well, come on, it's in the, it's in my room. He said, but I got to put a couple of touches to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and here is a pastel, and it was a portrait of a, a native person, but he had this little white speck in his eye that just attracted me to it. And I said, well, are you going to spray this, Bobby? He says, no, I never spray my pastels. And I said, well, eventually they're all going to dust off. Well, if you want to spray it, go ahead and spray it. I don't spray them. <laughs> <laughs> but he was set in what he did. 
And he and the best ones I like about Bobby is the ones that he never finished. He always would have lines yeah. coming off. Yeah. I love those. Yeah, the, sort of that that graphic art feel <clears throat> in a sense. Because he was a graphic artist for a while there, I think in the 80s. Yeah. 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 He he was skilled in so many areas, you know. He and traditionally he was a hell of a dancer. Yes, he really danced and stuff, and he had so many skill levels that uh, it just amazed me. Hmm. So, uh, how have you developed your career, uh, both uh, college and post college? Well, really, college wise, you know, after I left uh, Black Hill, I mean, after I left the Santa Fe Institute of American Arts. That that was really a, an eye opening for me, is because being educated white, you know, there's no no natives hardly. I think there was five of us mm-hmm. out of three hundred sixty nine seniors, and so we never heard about our culture. But every summertime, I would always go home to Kyle and my grandpa and my grandma, and I had a I. I have thousands of relations on the Pine Ridge, mm. and uh, I would be able to go to ceremonies, and I'd be able to go to powwows, and I'd be able to intermingle with my cousins, who all, some are, are traditional, real traditional, and a lot of them are cowboys, and we have that all cowboy Indian mix, you know. And uh, so I retained my cultural but I wasn't really understanding how it all gelled. I didn't know how, how this all was coming together. And then I went to Santa Fe, and I always thought they were just Sioux Indians. That's all we were, were Sioux Indians. I didn't know we were Lakota. And uh, then I met Apaches, Comanches, you know, uh, Cherokees and Chippewa and Seneca and God, I met so many different kinds of Indian tribes, and we all sat and talked. We learned more about culture after supper for three hours than we did in the classroom, mm. because they would all tell their traditional stories. Then you know, and we'd always we'd always gather around, and, and girls and boys was always gathered, you know, and was always sharing. And being in high school, I thought, well, if you're with a girl, you always got to be boyfriend, girlfriend. But down in Santa Fe, it was more brother-sister. It was just a different type of relationship. And I really, really, really liked it. So the more I come back up here in the summer times, the more I would seek out my, my traditional uncles and aunties and grandmas and stuff. And I told my mom and dad, I said, Mom and Dad, I'd really like to learn how to, I'd like to dance, traditional dance. And Mom and Dad says, well, we really can't help you too much, but Dad says, well, Claire, you know how the loom bead. And she says, yeah. And he says, well, I can, I can do that. He says, you know, I, I can do some things, because he's a cowboy, you know. And so... We beat it my costume. The first year I came home, we beat it a costume for me. And it was really cool. Was Arthur Raymond was having a name-giving ceremony for his son over at Porcupine. And he knew I was trying to do a costume. And so he gave me a pair of 
moxins, uh, sinew sewn, moxins, lazy stitched. That is grandma made. And God, that was just, oh, beautiful, you know. I still have them today. I still dance with them today. Hmm. And uh, John Golden Center was making buffles. And he was making old-style buffles. And Arthur gave me one of those. And so I thought, wow, you know, these things are hard to come by, you know. And here, about two years later, he gave me a Peshaw that Pete catches me. And so I have a Peshaw by Pete. And so I have all these different parts of my costume. And when I put them all on, I think about all these people that had a part in making these pieces for me. And they always say, how does a traditional dancer dance so long? We don't dance ourselves. Don Montlow is an author when I dance. All these relatives are dancing. And I don't feel, you know, I don't feel pain. And I don't feel tired. I can just dance. Hmm. And it's so cool. I mean, do you dance? I don't. I don't. I. You know, it's such a great... And, and the kinmanship that you get with uh, other dancers, mm-hmm. they always want to mix, mix you up. Because I don't know all the songs real good. So I'm always listening. And they'll start talking to me, especially uh, Brian Brewer and Ed Fetterman. <laughs> they'll be talking away, and, I'll, and they're listening because they know the song. <laughs> and uh, the song will stop that last beat. <clears throat> And I'll be, I'll skip, I'll slide. Everybody laughs at me. <laughs> and, uh, but it's all fun, you know, it's just all fun, you know. You go, you know, your kinmanship that you had with your, 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 you know, with Chris and them, mm-hmm. that's the kind of kinmanship that you get with these dancers, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they'll make fun of you and they'll, everything, but, if you need them at your back, they're right there, you know. So, but those are those are educational ways that I, I learned to cross cross both cultures, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I went to, went to like I went I said I went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design. I was their prize possession, their little Indian boy that they took around, and it was really amazing because a black guy was doing it. And he, oh, this is our little Indian boy from Pine Ridge Reservation, you know, da, da, da. And then at nighttime, it was so different. It was just a cultural difference of, of art and stuff like that, and I just couldn't take it. So that's why I left there and I went to Black Hills again. But when I went to Black Hills, all the vets were coming back from Nam. All the gold miners were coming in for a beer, so we'd go down to the bar. And uh, the vets were there. The gold miners were there. The cowboys were there. And uh, the college kids were there. And it looks like prime time for a big battle, but it never happened. <laughs> so, but Black Hills was, I went in as a freshman, sophomore, junior with my different classes, and when I was in my freshman classes, I looked at all these young 18-year-olds, and I'm 22, and 
look at the other vets and stuff like that was in there. It was just a, it was a different time, a different world. It was all early 70s, you know, and it was, we all spoke different languages. We, we, we was uh, challenging the professors. They weren't just reading out of the book and we were accepting everything they read. When they'd read something out of the book, we'd say, no, that's not right. I've had experience in that. Hmm. And they didn't like that sometimes, but they knew that it was correct because the professors at that time were teaching because they couldn't do it. You know, and we could do it and we weren't teaching. So there was a, there was a real line. Hmm. But after Black Hills and accepting that traveling art band was really cool because I could take all my all my teachings from Santa Fe and, and tie in my culture with all that and then take these young kids and I, that's that's what I, I really enjoy even today I, I do a lot of workshops on reservations and, and take young kids and my, my prize my prize grades are fourth through six I really love them grades and I really get a challenge with uh, middle school and high school I, I relate again with high schoolers on a different plane, but I can relate it to them. So, so I, I can still do all that. Hmm. I think that's uh, one of the appeals of, of the summer programs, the, like the Oscar Howe program, uh, you know, the, that age and the curiosity, um, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to connect with the next group that are coming up. Yeah. How, how have you, uh, how do you seek opportunities? I imagine through your career it's changed over time. Yeah, I I tried to try to get into a lot of art shows when I was young, starting up. I just wanted to do Santa Fe because that's where I went to school. Santa Fe Indian Market, really huge market. But the, at that time, it was only having a twenty percent. Uh, other than the Southwest artists, they only accepted twenty percent other artists. So it was hard to get into that show. And then a new one started up in Heidelberg, and uh, that was really easy to get in because it was a brand new show, so I got in there. And I've always done Northern Plains. I've only missed two Northern Plains art shows in Sioux Falls in September. One is because I got in a rear-end collision. Somebody rear-ended me, and I had a brace on. And the other one, I, the first one, I didn't believe it was going to be anything, and here everybody sold out. And then I, I do the Herd Museum show, and that's in March in Phoenix. And then I do, uh, I, I did a couple times the Oklahoma show, the charity art market, but I, people don't come to casinos to buy art, they go to gamble. So then I started websites and uh, Instagram, get on all those. And I, I worked with First Peoples here in Rapid City with Laurie Puyer when it first started out in the 90s. And then uh, I'm still a, a teacher for them. We do workshops. But my, my circle is real close because I'm getting older. 
and I do uh, Wind River, and I do a lot of Pine Ridge, Rosebud, and Crow Creek. I don't do too many on Standing Rock there. I mean, they're too far up for me, but I do do some Cheyenne River. Hmm. I, I learned through the years that I, I really don't care if I'm accepted in the, in the white community, let me say. And uh, I'm, I'm more happy to be accepted in my native community. And that's weird for an artist to say. But I think when I, I go to an art show with native artists and I win, but I, I don't even care about the win anymore. I care about the, the people themselves and getting acquainted with them. And, and young people, I really love to, to talk with young artists and to help them over the rocks and the, and the ruts and the road. And I think Keith does that well, too. Yes. Keith and Henry do it real well. Yeah, Keith is uh, he's so well spoken. Um, he's when he speaks, he's he's very organized in how he presents yeah. his thoughts. And and this brings us to uh, our our last question is: Do you have uh, what would you say to um, to the young eighteen year old that's starting out that's listening to this podcast? Find yourself a, a mentor. Your your uh, principal in your art. You know what what your art principal is and really talk to them and learn about their their crooked road and their rocks in their road and, and how they're dealing with, with, with organizations and, and learn how contracts are made and broken. And uh, really not only do one, but do several. And I think all of us older artists, established artists, are willing to talk to you about those things. And there's a lot of programs that are available now where where you can do these uh, mentorships, you know, and stuff like that. South Dakota Arts Council has one. Uh, Crazy Horse has one. And I think uh, most of the Indian colleges on the reservations have one. So get with those and, and get your... Get the art that you love the most and develop that really, really well and, and, and learn the culture behind that art. There are so many non-natives that are doing fantastic Native American art, but they don't have the heart or the spirit that it takes to present a good finished piece of art. So I've done, I, I went through that route unintentionally. I didn't know where I was headed, but I, I listened to my elders a lot of times, and I, I wouldn't hear them. I didn't know how to listen. And finally, I, after I came back from Santa Fe, I drank so many cups of coffee. I drank, I smoked so many cigarettes, and I sat on so many porches and so many benches and so many ground listening to my elders. And I learned how to listen. I learned how to shut up and not interrupt. I learned how to listen, my ears. And I never, never understood why our culture don't have eye contact until then. And I found out they don't have eye contact because they're listening. 
and their eyes are some their eyes are on the ground because their ears are just big and listening to all that sound. Mm-hmm. And so, with that, I've now written two books. One's the Lakota horse culture, and the other one's about muskrat and skunk. And uh, they're children's books. And I found a they call them and they're really good at uh, culture speaking and uh, I found her and she, she's the archivist assistant archivist she's now retired Agnes Gay and she's been fluent in Lakota ever since she was a child and so she translates my books <laughs> and her and I she's, she's very soft spoken really a, a quiet lady and I'm wild and talk and loud and stuff like that. And uh, <clears throat> she's translated my last book, Muskrat Skunk, and I have boom, boom, bam, bam in it because I'm learning how to beat on a drum. And she says, Don, there's no Lakota words for bam, bam, and boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, let's just go up bam, bam, and boom, boom. <laughs> and uh, then she'll, when I was going with Tashunka, I was concerned about that because I, I thought, well, it's a Wakan, you know, Shunka. And I talked to Alex White, 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 and he's in Rosebud. Anyways, Alex White was one that gave one of the stories too. He gave me Muskrat and Skunk. But uh, this other gentleman, he's real fun too, and he told me, he sent me a, he wrote a book from Sinte, and it'll come to me pretty soon. But, uh, Tashunka is one horse, and the other ones is a group of horses. And so I, I do research. I, I try to do everything I can to make sure that that book's going to be proper because I I know that there are Indian speakers who are going to read that book to their children, and their children are going to come it up. So I want to make sure that all those words are, are right. And even with... Uh, Agnes, we had three other readers um, look at that book to make sure that it's right. Because you know, in our culture, women and men pronounce certain words differently. Mm-hmm. But Agnes said when she was growing up, this was everyday Lakota. And both people, both men and women, understand what these words are saying. Mm-hmm. And so far, I've found out that they're acceptable by both men and women, the books. So did I do the right answer to the question? That was great. Thank okay. You. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you really got to do it. You, gotta, you know, I'm so proud of who I am as a Lakota person. Mm-hmm. And I carry that in one hand. I, I, that's, my, that's my rock. And the other hand is my searching hand. My left hand is my solid rock hand. My right hand is my searching hand, hmm. and that's the one I, I look for new ideas and everything. Mm. That's a great analogy. I really like that analogy. Thank you, Don. Thank you so much for this. Um, where can where can people find you? Find your work on online in your <coughs> life. My website is just Montelo M O N. 
T-I-L-E-A-U-X-4-8 at gmail.com. And uh, currently the only gallery I'm showing at is uh, here at Grand City, the Prairie Edge Gallery, because of the pandemic. Hmm. I lost like four shows this year. I lost uh, Idle George in Indiana. I lost uh, a Sioux Falls show. I lost uh, Native Pop, which is here in Rapid in July. Hmm. And Santa Fe pulled the plug the other day. And I don't know, Sente pulled the plug on Northern Plains. And so it really hurts a working artist. So I think our websites and our, uh, our, our I just sold a picture on the website the other day. And, and then I'm on Facebook too. If you friend me on Facebook. Okay. If you, why don't you friend me on Facebook and I'll click you on. Okay, I think I think we're friends already. Um, oh yeah. I'll double check. I think you have two two profiles on Facebook. I think there's a community one and a personal one. Um, when, one thing you you had mentioned uh, your website. Uh, I think you gave your email address. Do you want your email address out there or your website? Oh, my website is just Donald D O N A L D Motlow dot com. Yeah, an email address. If you find something you like on Facebook, email me, and then we'll negotiate. Big Maza. <laughs> Maza, Maza Scott. Um, okay, okay. Um, thank you so much for this. All right, Joe. Have a great day. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Don again for his time and sharing his story with us. It really meant the world to me. Uh, it was a really great conversation. More importantly, I want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. Please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person. I'm Joe Williams. You can find me on Canna. That's C-A-N-A-A, Creativity Among Native American Artists on Facebook or at the plainsart.org website. There you can see our programming, our past videos, and these podcasts. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, and soon other podcast platforms. If you have a suggestion for someone to interview, please find us on Facebook and message me. I'd really like to hear from you, as I'm always looking for someone to talk to. All right, take care, and we will see you next week.